Happy holidays and welcome back to a short bonus episode of Gateways. Today we're bringing you exclusive interviews from our Gateway City Innovation Awards in November. A few weeks ago we posted the keynote address delivered at the awards by Christopher Coase. After that keynote, Tracy spoke with Christopher as well as a handful of awardees. Take a listen. We're here at our Gateway Cities Innovation Institute Summit and Awards, where I have the privilege of talking to some very fantastic people, I mean, just truly inspiring people, who are doing very innovative things in our Gateway Cities, as well as in our nation. I actually want to start to kind of talk about one of our champions uh, who we're going to be honoring today, uh, Mayor Bill Carpenter, who unfortunately passed away earlier this year. I think it was right around the 4th of July. Um, and we're going to be honoring him today. And today with us, we have Nick Giacinto, who is going to talk to us a little bit more about what it was like to work with Mayor Carpenter. Thank you. Uh, well, it was uh, uh, exhausting, is, <laughs> is, is one word. Uh, I'll tell you, and I'm the first to admit, uh, and if you ask anyone from my office, it was uh, uh, a very tiresome uh, experience working for Mayor Carpenter. Uh, him and I used to joke back and forth about uh, what we referred to as the 12 to 4. And the 12 to 4 a.m. Uh, was the only reliable time uh, that he, we knew he was sleeping. Other than that, um, myself, uh, our office, Rob, uh, many of us uh, could expect to hear from him from any time between 4, 5, or anything like that. And... Um, what was unique about Mayor Carpenter was he, he took every opportunity he had to really become uh, an expert on uh, nearly every urban subject matter, uh, particularly planning, uh, a lot from which he've, he's learned from our, our, our Director of Planning Economic Development, Rob May. But um, we, he really took a lot of time attending every conference he could, uh, attending basically any uh, experience uh, he had access to to learn more uh, about different subjects that he could bring back to the community and change. Um, aside from that, he really learned a lot about planning and economic development. And we really, uh, beginning from day one, he uh, created an economic development team, uh, found out who he needed on our team uh, to really change things, not only in the downtown, but across the city. Uh, for, se for nearly seven years, Brockton without, went without a city planner, believe it or not. Uh, so we devised an economic development team and then uh, a set of uh, uh, strategies uh, that would work to redevelop Brockton uh, and turn it into what it's uh, beginning to become today. And uh, we've made a lot of progress. Um, Mayor Carpenter, uh, he had a very contagious laugh. Sometimes I'd be sitting at my desk um, wondering what he's laughing about. I'd hear him laughing and would have no idea what he's, what he's laughing about. But I would just start laughing just because I heard it, just because it was, it was super contagious. Uh, one thing about Mayor Carpenter, um, when you have someone who dedicates that much time to his job or his or her job, you don't miss too many opportunities. And I think that's what Mayor Carpenter was good at. You know, there, was nothing, there wasn't anything that was really falling in between the cracks with him. Um, because he was so committed in working around the clock, uh, there wasn't much that was getting by us. And we were seizing every opportunity we could uh, that would benefit Brockton. Thank you very much, Nick. I am very fortunate that I got an opportunity to meet Mayor Carpenter before he passed, and I can definitely attest to the fact that he was, you know, very high energy and very dedicated to the city of Brockton. And it sounds like his leadership uh, helped to bring in, on board one of our uh, innovators that we're talking about today, who uh, was, I guess, uh, wooed away from Somerville to work with uh, the city of Brockton. And that person is Rob May, and I know, Nick, you mentioned him uh, 
earlier, but Rob, tell us a little bit more about kind of what made you decide to go to Brockton and how your ideas have kind of really transformed the way you think about uh, planning and development. Thank you. Um, I think the opportunities that pose themselves here in Brockton um, are, are really a, a shining example of what a, a planner really wants to do. You know, you can go into a cornfield and develop a whole series of tract homes someplace, and and um, anybody can do that. Really, um, it it takes a a sharp mind, and I'm I'm not saying I have a sharp mind, but uh, it it. It takes a set of skills to be able to come into a uh, community, especially one that you've never lived in, to really work with the people on the ground, get to know the community, get to know what their wants and desires are, to shape that into a plan that everybody has signed off on, and then implement that plan so that we get the future that we want for our community. And that's what makes Brockton a really great place to work. Um, it was really interesting working with Mayor Carpenter. Um, one of the first things he said to me is, tell me what you need to sign and I get the heck out of the way. We had a, a really good symbiotic relationship. We taught each other things. Um, I really wish I had his memory and his gift for public speaking, but um, it was really a, a treat to be able to come to Brockton and, and do what we're doing here. Brockton really benefited from the fact that Mayor Carpenter kind of really just kind of let you do what you do and let you shine. And so, and as a result, you know, I know a lot of people oftentimes refer to your seven layer dip uh, as uh, kind of one of those key things that, you know, everyone is clamoring to kind of develop a prospectus, kind of like what Brockton has. Can you talk a little bit more about what that dip is and what it is meant for being able to turn Brockton around? I do not know where the term came from. I don't know who, you know, said this is a seven layer dip, but I certainly am going to trademark it and take it for my own. Um, Brockton happens to be a, a community that was in the right place at the right time. Um, and as we start to, um, you know, really do our work in the community, we started with a community-based plan. That's the first layer of the dip. And I, I should say that, it, that these plans and incentives and districts that are all layered on top of each other are what we're calling the seven-layer dip. And there's many more dip, many more layers to this dip than just seven. But we started out with a vision. We created a uh, urban renewal district, which gives the Brockton Redevelopment Authority the power to implement that uh, that vision. We created a diff district, which then allows us to capture the incremental growth and invest that back into projects in our community, also to manage the district and to create a sense of place and play. Um, we then um, have our, our 40R district, our smart growth district. We created a um, uh, Massachusetts 40V HDIP, a housing development incentive program, uh, which is tax credits for market rate housing downtown. We've expanded our uh, National Historic District. We are eligible for new market tax credits. We are working on the state's new vacant storefront program. We have uh, 43D, we have, we have, we have, but these are all the things that, that make up the dip and the cheese that holds it all together is the opportunity zone. Uh, this came out of nowhere and I think it's, it's going to be a game changer if we can really work um, to pull all of these incentives together with this investment that is out there looking for, for investment, uh, or capital that's looking for investment opportunities. 
we then, um, knowing that we had this this dip put together, we're taking our show on the road. So we've created a investor prospectus. We're talking to developers. We're talking to end users. We're talking to investors, and we're trying to do some matchmaking. And fortunately, through the Urban Renewal District, the Brockton Redevelopment Authority has the power to really pull together partners, and to say, okay, investment company X, we know that you do this kind of project. This is the kind of stuff that we need in our community. Here is a site that's adjacent to the train station. Can you work with us to put together a, a project here? And then we can take that project and go to the investment community and say, here's a qualified developer who has this kind of track record on this kind of site with these characteristics. I mean, 30 minutes to downtown Boston. I mean, how could you beat that? Uh, High-grade fiber, it, all of this stuff that's in the ground we can make this work and we sell that package then to an investor. Um, and we've had success with at least two and possibly three projects using Opportunity Zone funding um, since the program was created. So that is the cheese to the dip. I should bring chips sometime. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. You know, as we talk about development in Brockton, I, you know, I know that our other gateway cities are doing very innovative things too, which is the reason why we are honoring North Shore CDC. And today we have its CEO, Mickey Northcutt, here to kind of talk about what's been happening uh, in multiple cities across the North Shore. We have had an earlier podcast, actually, a, plus a bonus episode, actually touring El Punto neighborhood in Salem and the Urban Art Museum. And so not only are you doing real estate development, but you're also doing very um, integrated, inclusive placemaking. And and creating really memorable places in communities across the North Shore. Can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and how that ties into overall municipal development strategies in our gateway cities? Sure. So whether we're talking about our affordable housing development work or the Punta Urban Art Museum, all of those things for us are tied to our overall effort to improve the quality of life for people in the point. Um, and important to say, the people who have been in the point for years. Um, and in our case, our organization went through um, a change expansion about 10 years ago where we um, made the decision to work regionally, but our base and our home is still in the Point neighborhood in Salem. So one of the first things that we did after the creation of that um, expansion was to do, um, was to really design a comprehensive neighborhood planning process like Rob talked about. Ours is called the Point Neighborhood Vision and Action Plan. And that was finished in 2013, and it it was excellent because it we wanted a, we knew that we would be growing. We have a great partner administration in Salem, and we wanted to make sure that the investments we made, financial and human capacity, were aligned with what people actually want in the point. And uh, that, frankly, was a revelation. A lot of the planning that had gone on in the past was um, didn't really start with from what individuals wanted and our goal was to get as many people involved in that process as possible and give ourselves long-term goals that were everything that went into the plan had to be action-oriented and achievable and agreed to by whoever was actually the responsible party to um so that we couldn't create tasks for the city that that they were either not willing or not able to accept or vice versa so that gave us really clear strategy on our housing work for the last few years. So we basically, um, out of that plan, came the Point Neighborhood National Historic District. We got the National Historic District put in place and have used that to bring historic state and federal historic credits to 
19 buildings with another 20 in the pipeline, uh, which is really, it's, it's great capital, but it's also in Salem where history is our business is um, also just a statement to the point contribution to Salem's history, which frankly had not really been much of a, a of an acknowledged contribution before, ironically, because it does have such a rich history. And then second, um, out of that planning process came a real recognition that we couldn't have a plan to improve the quality of life in the point without talking about the stigma. That's it's really a long held and widely known thing on the North shore. And even if you don't know the point, we all know neighborhoods like the point that suffer from this. And especially kids grow up hearing these things from friends and neighbors and um, internalize that. And parents really wanted that to be a part of the plan. That um, really was the inspiration for the Punta Urban Art Museum to change the narrative in the neighborhood uh, by giving people something positive and beautiful to enjoy and talk about, but also giving folks um, a good reason to come visit. Because we realized in the process of that plan that a lot of people, a lot of well-meaning people who are not Point residents um, hadn't really had personal, genuine, in-depth experiences in the Point. And they might have visited a business for five minutes here or there, but they didn't necessarily know friends there. And we wanted to begin to break that barrier down so that people could visit their neighbors. And um, and the point, um, if you visit and see, now we have 90 murals in a three-block radius, which is really cool for anyone to see. But one of the things that we're really proud of is that residents of the point are aware widely of which buildings are North Shore CDCs and which are not. Um, we have plaques on them, but also we've been an institution there for so long that people know us. And there's a connection between, uh, there's a clear connection between the public art and our buildings. I think there's a real knowledge of that. And it's changed our relationships in the neighborhood where we're not only viewed as a landlord. And we do lots of other things, but I, the people who know about our other work are the people who participate in our other work. So if, we, if people's only relationship with us is that of a tenant landlord, this is a very public, very visible thing. And um, we're trying to make sure that as it grows, that it stays really connected to that original goal of reducing stigma. So I'm sensing a theme here. We're talking a lot about the role that development plays in our communities, and that is actually building community, of whether that's, you know, including people in the planning process or if it's uh, kind of thinking about development. That I remember um, last Friday I was at the Locust conversation that we here had here in Massachusetts, and we talked about the role that development has um, in communities and that developers don't just want to build buildings. They want to actually help to revitalize the community because it protects their investment, but it also makes them an integral part of the community. So, you know, making people the center of the conversation is really, really important. And we are very fortunate to have here uh, Christopher Coase, who is the Vice President of Land Use and Development at Smart Growth America, which is actually uh, leading a lot of the uh, Opportunity Zones conversations with communities across Massachusetts. But he was also our fabulous keynote speaker this morning. And he did a really wonderful job of talking about uh, four very radical ideas as to what we could do to kind of uh, boost transit-oriented development to create transit-oriented communities in our gateway cities. Chris, you want to kind of share with our audience a summary of kind of what you talked about and what other ideas kind of came out of this morning? You know, this is my second time coming in Massachusetts in less than 96 hours. Um, so it should tell you the value of place here in this region. Um, 
through our research, we've seen time and time again, whether it's analyzing walkable urban places and the fact that the Boston Metro and Massachusetts has one of the greatest share of new walkable urban places um, that are inclusive coming online. When you look at opportunity zones, Massachusetts, particularly as gateway cities, are at the top of the list. So when someone says, you know, Christopher, where are the big ideas uh, for Massachusetts, but particularly their gateway cities, the first one, which I guess I should have started off with, is don't mess this up. Uh, that's the big, bold idea. Uh, this region and a lot of cities have all the assets that you need. Um, and really, I think something that was stated today uh, that I think crystallizes the summit's conversation is that you may have good, decent transportation assets, but you need to improve upon it. You may have great human capital, but we need to improve upon it. We have great partnerships, but we need to improve upon it. And the way we improve upon it is the idea of synthesizing them all together. And I think synthesis is going to be the term um, that really uh, uh, jumpstarts uh, and really uh, cements uh, the gateway cities here in Massachusetts, I think for the next 20 years as kind of the poster child of what it really takes to revitalize communities in a way that the people who live there appreciates, enjoys, and actually owns the progress. But more importantly, in terms of the next big idea, really in many ways saying, you know what, we did that. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Happy holidays from all of us at Gateways, and we'll see you in the new year. Thank you.